0: Good morning, Exchange Church. How you doing? Good. Uh, let's give it up one more time for all the moms in the house. So a couple weeks ago, um, we began a series. <laughs> uh, let me get my notes out. How to be a perfect Christian. And then last week, if you were here, Miss Dana, Dana did an incredible job on part two. Can we give it up for her? It was awesome. Today, I want to circle back around and finish part two of the sermon that I started two weeks ago. Um, I won't really re-preach that sermon. In fact, even between first and second service today, I've made some modifications to my notes so I can get get, uh, to the core quicker. Um, and my volunteers said thank you and amen. This uh, first service ran a little long. I don't think—I think I can trim it down, but we're going to move quick. Is that all right if I just go ahead and put it in fifth gear and we move quick today? Um, I want to take you to Galatians chapter 6 as we do part 3 of how to be a perfect Christian. Now we all know that there is no such thing as a perfect Christian. So this series is satire. It's satirical in nature, and I'm going to give you the point for the sermon, and we're all going to give a good laugh because we know that it is not even possible for us to be perfect, right? But the point today is a perfect Christian conforms to man-made standards of the Christian faith. We know that's not true. And to prove that, I want to take you to Galatians chapter 6. Verses 11 through 18 is my text. I'm going to trim that to 11 through 13. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law... Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. So here we have people who are trying to get other people to be circumcised so that they follow what man-made standards look like. But they're not even keeping the law. They're just wanting to boast in the fact that they got someone else to be circumcised. Tracking with me? Man-made standards. I think there's more for us today on Mother's Day as we uncover what it really means to be a Christian. If we could just, I don't know, open up an empty box and throw in all of our presuppositions and ideas about what it means to be a perfect Christian, throw it out the window, and let's see what God says about following him and his ways. Father, in Jesus' name, I come before you today. I thank you for who you are. God, I know that your word is so powerful God, I understand that in the next 26 minutes, you are able to completely revolutionize our perspective, our faith, our relationship with you, and I ask that you would join us in this moment. God, come and do what only you can do. In name, I pray. All right, I'm going to be juggling a lot of things, so I'll try to juggle this microphone as well. I may go old school Pentecostal and just chunk the mic and yell if that's okay. Uh, I don't know. We'll see how the spirit moves me today. Um, But anyway, I am excited to just go through the first sermon very briefly with you. Um, There were a couple of ideas that we talked about, and I want to reintroduce those to you. I'm not going to preach the whole sermon because many of you were here two weeks ago. And if you weren't, you can go online and you can listen to it to get caught up. There were a few ingredients. Remember, we started making some stew two weeks ago. There were a couple of ingredients that I put into the pot. Um, One of them was this notion of sanctification. Look at your neighbor and say, "Sanctification." sanctification. 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 It's a big religious word that basically means we're all in progress, Murphy, right? Isn't that good that we're all in progress? I thank God that the moment I said yes to Jesus wasn't the last of my growth in him. Day by day, precept upon precept, line upon line, I continue to look more like Christ. And my wife is very grateful for that, right? And same with you. Now, in the moment that you said yes to Jesus, something instantaneous happened. You became what we call born again, meaning when you said, Jesus, I want you to lead my life, I want you to be Lord of my life. In in an instant, you became a son or a daughter of Christ. In an instant, your eternity was changed. In an instant, you put on the robe of righteousness. Not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has won for us. In an instant, when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin, our past, our faults, our failures, our inconsistencies, our addictions, our histories, none of that. He doesn't read our credit report. He sees Jesus in an instant. Uh, Unfortunately, there's this other word that's not a fun word. It's called sanctification. Meaning, you and I are conformed to the image of Christ through process. In an instant, our salvation was one. It's like one and done. But through process, our old habits, our old patterns, our old thinking uh, frameworks began to get demolished and destroyed as we build them up in Christ. So, sanctif- can we at least all agree in this term, sanctification? Some people don't. Some people that love Jesus don't actually believe in the concept of sanctification. But we do here, and I think that it's pretty evident in Scripture, and it's pretty evident in my life and your life that sanctification works, and it's a process. The second ingredient, uh, I don't remember. I think I said this was like onion powder, maybe. Um, This second ingredient is spirit soul, and body. Many of us, and you can totally disagree with me on this. It's, it's okay. I, I want to present it to you because for me, it has some pretty huge um, benefits to believe what I believe Scripture to say. Um, but many times we grow up with a trichotomy view that, that is, we are spirit, soul, and body. Three parts, spirit, soul, body. We used to believe that. Bible scholars used to believe that. It's, you would be hard-pressed today to find a Bible scholar that actually believes that. Now, more views go to the dichotomy perspective. I know it's a really boring word, but the basic thing is soul and spirit in Scripture is used interchangeably. So the scripture will use the word spirit in some places and then soul in other places. And it really just means the hidden part of us, right? The thing that other people can't see. Our thoughts, our emotions, our will. And you can still hold on to the trichotomy view if you want. That's perfectly fine. I'm not even going to call you wrong today. You can, you can believe that. That's okay. I, I just get excited with the fact that we are so much part of Christ in the spirit realm and in the soul, that when there is a change in the spirit realm, it can't help but impact our soul. It can't help but change our perspective. It can't help but change our emotion. I've known too many Christians in my lifetime who say they have encounters with Jesus, but they still gossip. I've had too many encounters with people who have massive encounters with Jesus and they, they, you know, fly off in the spirit realm, but they still manipulate people. I know too many people who, (sighs) that might be too far. That's. This is wisdom right now. I'm going to roll back. Thank you, baby. (laughs) What I'm saying is I love this notion because the word says we are hidden in Christ. All of the things you can't see about me are completely inside of Christ. And he is completely inside of all of the unseen parts of me. And that's exciting. Because it's really easy in a trichotomous view for me to separate my relation, my spirituality from my depression and anxiety and anger and unforgiveness and addictions. Are you with me? Yeah. But when we combine them, all the unseen parts of me are surrendered to Jesus Christ, the one who conquered it all. But we also have this thing called the body. I know you see mine. <laughs> You see lots of my right? We have this physical body, and this is exciting to me. Right now I am standing up here as three parts, by the way. I know I'm I'm saying I believe in dichotomy. I am spirit slash soul, one or the other, whatever you want to call it, it's one and the same. It's all of the things you can't see and my body. But there is a third part right here on this platform, and it is called Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. The, the same Holy Spirit that hovered over the foundations of the earth whenever it was created resides literally inside of me. Yes. And that's good news because when I step into a situation that I feel like is compromising or I'm nervous or I don't know how to handle it, I don't have to pray and ask God to go with me. I just step into the room because where I am, He is. Anyway, that was, that was uh, onion powder because onion powder is good in everything, right? No matter what you're cooking, it needs onion powder. All right, number three, the third ingredient from two weeks ago that I broke down for you, I won't break down too much today, is this concept of weights and sin. You and I carry weight and sin. I will take you to... How's the weather? I'm going to take you to Hebrews 12, 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every, say it with me, wait. One more time. Wait. One more time for the people in the back. Wait. Let's lay aside every, wait. And the. Which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience, perseverance, the race that is set before us. So clearly, church, we can carry weights and sin. Two different things. Like, just because you feel weighed down doesn't mean you're carrying sin. Right? I will tell you that every sin is a weight... But not every weight is a sin. This is great news for us because weights are the precursors to sin. We don't just wake up one morning and say, I, I think I'm gonna have an affair today, right? I, I think I'm gonna cheat on my taxes today. Oh, I, I think I'm gonna go off on my parents today. You, you don't just wake up. And fall into sin as if it's some hole in a dark room that you didn't see coming. That's really great news for us today because you don't have to wake up every morning, God, please, just keep me from sinning. As if it's it's a gust of air that's going to hit you. Sinning is a choice. To step out of God's will for your life, to not surrender your life and your will to Him, but to pick up your own self will and self reliance and do it your way. I call that Burger King Christian, having it your way, baby. And you just do your own thing. That's sin, and you chose to do it. I don't know how the affair happened. We do. we really do i asked the question 2 weeks ago and i'll ask it again today don't answer till the second part cuz this is a two part question how many of us here today ever said before god i promise i will never ever do blank again however you have done blank again how many of us have ever made that promise to God? God, if you just get me out of this jail cell, I promise. I will never do blank again. God, if you just let this refund on taxes to go through, I promise. I will never mess with the numbers again. God, if you, if you just don't let the teachers call home, I promise. But you have done it again. I've been there. And I know you meant it. I know in that, in that moment you meant it. it. It was a moment of clarity and you knew it was wrong. You knew it wasn't God's highest and best for you. And with all that was within you, you never wanted to do it again. I get it. You weren't lying. You weren't creating a mask so that your spouse would keep loving you. You meant it. Some of us here today are holding secrets right now that your family doesn't even know about. And you keep trying to bargain with God. God, I promise I won't go to that website again. But you have gone to it again. Because the reality is your willpower is eaten every day for breakfast by habits. Habits. There is a solution for you and I to not go around that mountain again. There is a solution to where we don't have to have the second half of that sentence, but I did it again. Scripture is very clear on what solutions are, so I want to walk you through that solution so that you and I can finally cross over that mountain. How many are ready to cross over that mountain? Say yes. Awesome. I am, I am loving the fact, I, I think I, this is the greatest time of all time to be a Christian. I really believe that. I am just so grateful. I am so grateful that I was born in 1974. By the way, my parents are here. Mom, Dad, happy, uh, Mom, happy Mother's Day. (laughs) Dad, thank you for all that you've done. Uh, I have a great mom, born in 1974. 70s were great, don't remember much, but uh, 80s were certainly good, 90s were incredible. Uh, 2000s were, you know, different, and, uh, and and now we're like, well, almost 2020. It's crazy, um, but I don't know where I was going with all of that. Oh yeah, it's the greatest time to be. A, it is the greatest time to be a Christian, and I'll tell you why. We can look around in every area of culture and society right now, and we can see echoes of God that we've never been able to see in generations before. I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, In the corporate world, right now, this really hot buzzword, it's this thing called servant leadership, right? Used to is how to be a great leader, how to lead your organization, corporate excellence, all of that. Now, all of a sudden, these gurus, these coaches come along and say, hey, guys, the way we really build business is all you upper-level management people, be a servant leader, as if that's something new. I'm like, um, like Jesus kind of talked about that. But I love the fact that God is allowing his principles to infiltrate culture like that. A ser- servant leader. And another thing, uh, I'm really into neuroscience right now and psychology, cognitive psychology, behavioral psychology, all, all of that good stuff. I'm a psychology major, by the way, so I know just enough to get myself in trouble. Uh, I'm sorry, I said a major. Even worse, I'm a, a minor, <laughs> psychology minor. I didn't even major in psychology. I know just enough that you could probably sue me. Um, but I love that neuroscience is backing up so much of scripture. I'm reading some of these articles that are coming out. For, for example, one article I read just a couple of weeks ago said that complaining literally creates brain damage. Think about that at your Mother's Day lunch today. Complaining literally rewires your brain and creates brain damage. On the flip side of that, being grateful, having gratitude. You know this whole, I don't know, it's kind of hip to say it but not live it. Like I'm blessed by everything, entitled to nothing. Having gratitude performs brain surgery and makes you a healthier person. Like God's word has said that for generations now. And the psychology world is just now picking up on it. Behavior modification. Same thing. They're saying things that scripture has said. So I want to take you to scripture, but I want to use, uh, go through the route of neuroscience. Is that okay if we have a little bit of science today? Because science echoes God for sure. Um, So how do we change? How do we change and not go through that mountain again? I have at my house a front yard, and um, if I could draw it for you, actually, maybe I should just turn this around. This is the road. This is the road. This is the driveway, this is where, this is where um, I park. Uh, this is where my wife parks. We have a sidewalk that goes up to our front door. This is the house. So um, to, get to, my, to get to my front door, you walk up the driveway, on the sidewalk, and then to the house is, is the front door right? How many, this makes sense? This is not rocket science, right? I noticed though that every year almost, I finally gave up, but every year I was replanting sod, grass. Where do you think I'm replanting grass? (laughs) Right there. This, we call this the Cheryl Biggs path. (laughs) Is she in here? Thank you, Jesus. She parks on the road. She doesn't really. I just, I tease her. Oh, man, one time it was raining, and she was coming down the CB path, and she fell and slipped in the mud. It was so hilarious. No, it was funny. It was, she wasn't hurt. It, it's funny. Anyway, so this is the Cheryl Biggs path. And so I replant grass, but I realize Cheryl's not going to stop coming over. So then... I put rocks. If you've been to my house, you see these cute little stepping stones, right? You've seen that? Anyone at my house? I'm creating an alternate route for Cheryl to fewer steps because we all know that eight more steps is way too many. And so we create these steps. Is she coming in? Oh, Miss Cheryl. And so we just bless her in the name of Jesus. Prosperity, wholeness, wholeness. Lord, use every step that she takes to bless everyone around her. So is in our lives. The path we travel, there will be some outcome. There will be either growing grass or dead grass based on the paths that we travel. Now, neuroscience can actually be studied now in a way that it could not have been before. (laughs) So we can have MRIs done of our brain. We could have EEGs of our brain. Did you know there's a place in Austin? I want to have this done, actually. Um, There's a place in Austin that they can scan your brain and they can see what parts of your brain are functioning, communicating properly, which ones are not. Um, They can identify trauma to your brain. So from birth all the way up to your current age, trauma in your brain that has shut down and is now not communicating um, with your prefrontal cortex or whatever other parts of your brain. And it's just, it's really quite amazing that we can see the quality of our brain. Did you know that praying actually makes your brain stronger. They have, they have taken brain scans of nuns who spend a ton of time in prayer, all the way from nuns in prayer to Pentecostals who spend time praying in tongues. And they said they see the same brain patterns and behavior emerge from those who pray a lot versus those who just say the God bless this food and nourish our body, Amen. So that's right, we could actually do brain scans as you enter church to see who the real prayer warriors are of the exchange church because your brains have been changed. Sounds awful familiar to renewing of the mind, does it not? Your, your brain is actually reflecting the brain of Christ the more that you pray. Think about this another study was done, they took three groups. Oh, let me back up, this is a fun story. They, they took these monkeys and they taught the monkeys how to get peanuts with the thumb and the index finger. And the faster that they got picking up the peanuts with the thumb and the index finger, they were scanning the brain waves of monkeys and the, the part of the brain that was responsible for the thumb and the index finger began to grow, Begin to grow. They, they noticed that um, the violinist who uses a certain hand The part, you know, to do the quick movement versus the slow movement. The side of the brain that handles the slow movement does not grow as quick as the side that does this movement. They did another study where they they divided the room up into three groups. And they took the first group and they said, I want you to practice exercising your pinky. So they gave them pinky exercises for 15 minutes a day. And over the course of several months, they found that the pinky got stronger they had a second group that did absolutely nothing they didn't worry about the pinky they were just kind of the test zero out group Um, and then they had a third group that they said i don't want you to exercise your pinky but for 15 minutes a day i want you to think about exercising your pinky that's a hard task isn't it for 15 minutes um exercising my pinky (laughs) At the end of several months, they found that both groups, the group that physically exercised their pinky and the group that only thought about exercising their pinky showed significant increase in pinky strength. Exactly. (laughs) Cancel your Gold's membership, baby. We don't ever have to work out again. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think that works. We have neural pathways, all right? Psychologists will tell you that things that fire together wire together. So, um, if I think about something, and I'm going to give you a very tangible example in just a minute. If I think about something and then behavior follows it, what happens? It's intertwined. It's intertwined. Oh, man. And what's interesting, it's the same color, so you can't even really tell the difference. I talked to someone, um, this is is not a huge example, but it's one example. I talked to someone several months back. They had quit smoking, and they told me that they used to smoke whenever they drank coffee. And uh, when they decided to stop smoking, they actually could not enjoy coffee anymore. Interesting, huh? Because things that fire together, wire together. And it took several months uh, until this this wiring was actually deconstructed in their body, physically, in their mind. They were able to pick coffee back up again. Because what happens is, we have an A B. Maybe something happens, like drinking coffee, and drinking coffee is tied immediately to what? Smoking. Cigarette, for this person, right? Psychologists call this chunking. Behaviors are chunked together. The brain cannot read just coffee or just smoking. When you do one, you think of the other. It's, it's chunking. You want another example? This is an extreme example on Mother's Day. Can I give you an extreme example? We have, in our culture, a tragic event called um, pedophilia, where grown people are attracted to children sexually. I want to explain how neuroscience and the bonding has really functioned in our society to create an epidemic for us. If, if you look at the rise of pedophilia, and you compare it to the rise of the internet and the access of the internet, it makes a little more sense. What has happened, an 11-year-old gains access to pornography. And the 11-year-old, just like the one-year-old in the bathtub who's having a a bath with another one-year-old, and they're like, what is that? Right? You've seen all that. And we think it's cute and it's funny. And it's like, oh, Johnny, don't don't do that. You know, it's natural and normal, whatever. As an 11-year-old, they gain access to pornography and they look at other 11-year-olds that are naked. And over here... When the 11-year-old sees pornography of children, something happens in the brain. Three, things, three chemicals are released almost immediately. Serotonin is released. Serotonin is the chemical of a, a sense of well-being. Dopamine is released. Actually, there is, oh God, when you look at pornography, um, there is an immediate dopamine dump in your body. That's why it is so hard for all of you and us to break that thing because there is an immediate chemical release. Dopamine is your pleasure chemical. But then there's oxytocin that is released as well. Oxytocin is the bonding chemical. Side note, husbands and wives, um, if you go through these seasons of not feeling close together, intentionally cuddle more. Honestly, cuddle more because the simple act of hugging and cuddling releases oxytocin. I see men wrapping their arm around But I'm saying even like just not on Mother's Day, you know? (laughs) When you cuddle and you hug, oxytocin is released, which is a bonding chemical in your brain. And I'm so sad for this 11-year-old who doesn't know how to handle the power of serotonin, oxytocin, and dopamine because they are immediately addicted to these images of 11-year-olds. The problem is this 11-year-old grows up to be a 21-year-old, a 31-year-old, a 41-year-old who still, because it has been hardwired in his or her brain, have chemical releases when they look at an 11-year-old power of the brain, the power of the mind. But this is actually good news for us today. Because the same power that creates tragedy in our world has the same power to create victory through the power of the Holy Spirit in our world. And so, what do we do? We have to find ways like the Cheryl Biggs trail to block it put up shrubs, put up a fence, put up a sign that says, stay away. Not Cheryl, I'm saying in your situation, if you want the grass to grow, you've got to block the entranceway, you've got to block the path, you've got to put up a fence here so that it's no longer an option to even approach A. Knowing that you're going to have B, we wake up and say, how did this happen? I didn't see B coming, but you saw A. Let's not kid ourselves. I'm afraid that we're so busy trying to cast demons out of people and demons have already long and gone because we've accepted the A and now we're carrying out Satan's work because we do the A which automatically gives us the B and we're trying to cast out the demons but what we need to be casting out is our own flesh. Good, good. So how do, we, how do we rewire these things? First of all, the neurons that fire together, wire together. I I didn't say this first service. I'm going to give you bonus material. These A's over here are called triggers or cues. A trigger or a cue can be person, place, thing, or time. Person, place, thing, or time. That's why if you go to your old stomping grounds when you're in high school, suddenly you feel like a little kid again, right? Or, or you go to that grandparent's house that used to look down on you and never, your voice was never valued, and suddenly you walk into their home or into that city and you feel that small again. Because it is a cue, it is a trigger that leads you down to the path of insecurity or fear, or insignificance, lack of purpose, am I making sense? We have big triggers that you may not recognize, Carrie and I are getting better at recognizing it, but it's time, time. There are events that can happen in your life, and then a year roll around, and it's Christmas again, and you feel irritable, and you don't know why. Or you feel fear bubbling up and you don't know why. And then you look back at the calendar and you realize, you know what? Christmas Eve service last year was the day we found this out. Surprise! We thought we were over it, but time was a cue and a trigger. And so what we have to do, which is very scriptural, is take every thought Captive and make it subjective to the Word of God and whatever He says about time or people or places or things. Let your thoughts align to that. Build a barrier. Let the Word of God be the barrier that keeps you from traveling the same path. Neuro pathways, like a block of cheese, cheddar cheese. Is cheddar a hard cheese or soft cheese? Hard cheese, cheddar cheese. You have cheddar cheese, big old block of cheddar cheese. You get a really hot marble and you drop it into the cheese. That heart, heart, hot marble will make its way down to the cheese and fall out. Then you can take the cheese and look through the hole. That's a neural pathway, a representation of one. And if I do the marble again and again and again, it's going to hit the edges at just slightly different places. So what is it going to do to that pathway? It's going to make it wider. Someone paid attention in science. Very good. It's going to make it a little bit wider. And then you get a bigger marble and you make it a little bit bigger. You and I develop neural highways in our mind. So we already know when Christmas is coming up or holidays are coming up. That's why we are scared to go visit family because we have enough history. that we know already what's going to happen. We've played those scenarios through so many times that there is a highway and you, you actually literally have to look for the exit sign to get off the highway because your mind will take you there. Psychologists tell us that 95%, up to 95% of our behavior is not conscious decision-making, it's habits. Which is a good thing when you're brushing your teeth, right? Can you imagine? And that one, and that one, and that one, and that one. No, you just brush, it's It's habit. Tying your shoe. Can you imagine every morning waking up Ryan and being like, okay, left over right and under and make a loop? No, it's habits. Most of our behaviors are habits. Here's the scary thing. We humans have the capacity to build a habit after one exposure. You think one time won't matter? Oh, it does. You think no one will know and it won't hurt anything? Oh, but it will. Because sin will take you further than you ever intended to go. We found out from, actually Time Magazine did a study. You guys remember Hurricane Katrina that came in in, is that 05? 08? 05. You know, you know. Hey, were you there? Okay. Okay. Biloxi, they have so many mosquitoes there. Jesus loves them. Anyway, um, I lived in Biloxi for six weeks when I was in the military. I liked it, except the mosquitoes. Anyway, so a lot of people died in Hurricane Katrina. They, they thought that a lot of people died based on poverty level. They thought that was the indicator. They were asking the question, in a crisis, what is the thing that makes you live or die? And they used Hurricane Katrina as an example They found actually it had nothing to do with money, nothing to do with poverty. It had everything to do with age. Three-quarters of the people that died were over the age 60, and half of the people that died were over the age of 75. Isn't that huge? That's ridiculous. What they came to discover was that these people were old enough to have lived through Hurricane Camille in the 60s. So after one experience of surviving a major hurricane, these people thought, I don't need to leave Katrina. I've survived it once. I'll survive it again. The people that actually did leave were the people who didn't have exposure to Hurricane Camille in the 60s. Therefore, they listened to what was being told them and they, they ran. I want you to be careful that you're not habituating actions and behaviors based on a one-time experience. I know you've been hurt in church, but that doesn't mean all churches are going to hurt you. I know that you've had someone that loved you and betrayed you, but that doesn't mean that everyone that loves you is going to betray you. I understand that you, you've made some really bad decisions, but that doesn't mean you can't trust yourself or what the Lord is doing inside of you. You can overcome this. Be careful that we're not painting life with a broad stroke of one experience and creating habits on broken perspectives of who we are. All right, I'll leave you with this because I'm out of time. How do we, you know, God, I will never do this again, but I have done this again. How do I rewire, quite literally, my brain? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not through my willpower or self-reliance, but only through my surrender to God's word and what is true. How do I rewire my brain so that I won't do it again? We understand from Romans 6 that you can either be a slave to sin or you can be a slave to Christ, but you can't be both. So how can we? live in a space, in a relationship with Christ where we truly are transformed into his image. Not that we just visit the Holy Land once in a while, but we actually become ambassadors of the Holy Land. Are you with me? Anyone ever see the movie Titanic? It's a good movie, super long. An iceberg... That's an iceberg. And then this is the water line, if we're taking a cross section. And then the iceberg is massive, right? Um, Here's what we know. The part that is visible on the iceberg above the water is only 10% of the iceberg. The density of ice is 90% that of water, which requires 90% of the ice to be under the water, to support the 10% that's above the water. So the things that you see in your life, the habits, the behaviors, the thinking patterns, the fights, the anxieties, the depression, you know, you know all, all the, the, the stuff. God, I promise I won't do that again. It's being supported by and visible by 90% of the unseen inside of you. So, so what do we do here? If we want this to change, what, what do we do here? In here we see washing of the word. Your mind will not renew based on knowledge. Your mind renews on the power of the living word of God. In other words, if you want to change your mind, the DNA of your mind, oh, and by the way, you might as well fight the battle now because if you don't, your kids are going to have to. I was talking to someone between services and they said, Pastor, what you were saying, I went to a trauma seminar two weeks ago and they said that as your brains are, or as your neurons are firing together, wiring together, it actually encodes in your DNA and gets passed down to your children. Wow. I don't know that that's true. That's what they heard at their seminar. I'm going to investigate it. But let me tell you, that brings a whole new thought process to this whole generational curse idea. Why don't we unwire some things so that our kids don't have to in generations to come? Why don't we fight battles that they won't have to fight? Give them bigger battles, exciting, fun battles to fight. And let us conquer these things by washing of the word. Galatians 5, 22-23. Tells us the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, forbearance, patience, right? All of these things. That's what's visible up here. We know that when sin begins in our life or that moment that we're off, it doesn't start that moment that we say yes to the affair that moment that we say yes to the addiction that moment that we scream and let anger ravish our heart it didn't start that moment it started days weeks months years before when we suppressed the voice of the holy spirit in our life you see a weight and sin is very different a weight is when we step into self-reliance We don't allow God to do what only he can do and we don't surrender our will in our life to our creator and instead we pick up our own baggage. We choose to do it on our own and those weights will always, always lead to sin. So you don't want to do that thing again? Start focusing on under the water So, God, right now, in the name of Jesus, God, I thank you that we we can look back and see where sin begins. We can look back and see where we're getting off track, where we have suppressed the Holy Spirit in our life. And God, it would be great if you would just show up and remove all of the stuff that we're dealing with. And you've done it before. I've seen you do it for others. But the reality is, more than not, you want us to partner with the process. You want us to wrestle with that, should I do it, should I not do it? Should I walk to the the path on the driveway or should I just walk through the grass and ruin the grass? You want us to wrestle with those moments that we have to lean into you to step beyond our own willpower, to step outside of our habits and allow you to transform us into your image. So Father, we thank you for all that you're doing in our life. We know there's no such thing as a perfect Christian, but God, we choose not to be a stagnant one. In Jesus' name I pray. Let the church say, amen.